Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Well, I hope you're all doing good. Um, I should tell you that this episode uh, was recorded during lockdown and uh, I was very, very happy to get to sit back down with uh, my friend Simone. Um, Simone has already recorded uh, an episode of Off The Beaten Track where we've spoken about um, a lot about her career in Primal Scream uh, and uh, the songs that have soundtracked her creative journey to date. Uh, we've some hilarious uh, stories in there as well uh, regarding Top of the Pops uh, and phone calls from superstars, which uh, I think we touch on in this episode. Uh, but go back and listen to uh, the first uh, podcast with him because uh, it's, it's a cracking listen. Um, and so uh, what I'm doing with some of the guests that are coming back on is I'm just sort of having a chat but basing it around gigs and uh, you know their first gigs and gigs that you know the, the gigs I should say that they've both attended uh, and played at so it's a nice sort of mixture and uh, we get some interesting stories from sort of festivals and I want to know what it's like you know what it feels like to walk out in front of thousands and thousands of people and, uh, and we touch on all of this um, on today's episode um, before we get on with it um uh, also, I need to say uh, that Sim's got a new podcast, so um, there'll be links to that uh, on uh, on the bio attached to this podcast, so go and click through and, and give Sim's podcast a listen. Um, but in regards to this podcast, I want to say thanks to Scribbis Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, thanks to 76, uh, my producer, for producing this. Uh, and also, if this is your first listen uh, of Off The Beaten Track podcast, please go and uh, not only check out uh, the first episode I've done with Sim, but go and have a, a rummage around in the archives because there's there's probably about 150 episodes with some of your favourite musicians, producers, DJs, comedians, actors. Go go get stuck in and and have a route around in the vaults. Um, and if that's not enough, I do also have a Patreon page. Uh, so each week I put a standalone episode uh, up over there. Uh, so if you want to support the podcast, you can do so um, over on Patreon. You can find out about all of this and merch and, and all the other stuff. Uh, off the beaten track podcast.com. All right, shall we uh, get on with things? Let's do it. Um, please enjoy Off the Beaten Track Podcast with the wonderful Simone. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. 
go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Okay, we're, uh, we're recording. Uh, sitting opposite me today uh, is my friend Sim. You all right? Hi, I'm good, thank you. You all right? All things considering. Yeah, so... Well, I want to ask first, Sim, um, how have you been coping mm-hmm. uh, in the current quarantine lockdown scenario as both Simone, the human being, and <laughs> and Sim, the creative? Oh, wow. Uh, drinking lots of coffee for a start. Um, yeah, okay. I didn't cope very well at the beginning. Um, I think it was the whole... Um, I think the seriousness of it all really hit, it kind of hit in stages and, and suddenly when we were really not allowed to see anyone and it was like the words lockdown, isolation, quarantine, all these things felt really surreal. Um, and they're then brutal also, words, aren't they? They're really like... They're, they're not brutal words, they are. And it, they're not really words that we use in our everyday life to describe our lives and how yeah. we're living. Um, and I remember... Uh, like seeing it all on YouTube and on the news, like in Wuhan, how everything had just become very dystopian, very surreal, very quickly. No one on the streets, people really struggling, um, you know, and, and you kind of thought, oh, it's happening over there. It's happening in the rest of the world, you know. And then, of course, it's here. So, um, yeah, it's taken me a while to get into this headspace that I'm at now. I've really been up and down, like completely honest with you, been really, really up and down. Yeah. And I got, I kind of got really low at one point, got a bit depressed about it all um, and just felt kind of very alone. And then, but, you know, you have to realise that everyone's in the same boat. It's yeah, not, but it's, you, you it's know, not just you... happening to you, it's happening to everyone. Everyone's had their income and their work cut. 
And everyone's having to suddenly struggle with that and come up with other ideas and how yeah. to monetize certain things. And it's, um, I don't know, I guess part of the whole thing about <clears throat> being creative about sounding pretentious is that you sort of have to maybe adapt and adjust to what you do regardless of if there's a pandemic or not. So you sort of employ that side of you, but yeah. Well, I mean, you've launched a podcast whilst in lockdown, so you've been pretty proactive. I have. I like, well, I still do in the radio shows, do that. I still want to, because I think it's really important to maintain some sense of normality. Completely. Like now more than ever um, is the importance of a routine um, and just do try and do as many things as you did do before to kind of keep that familiarity there. But I did start, I started a podcast. What the hell? Like, like the world needs another podcast like from a musician. <laughs> um, and, and you and Pip are like, you know, that is podcast. World. <laughs> so I mean, um, I kind of started it to occupy myself. To be honest, I wanted to do interviews with people that I couldn't necessarily do on the radio show because I didn't have enough time. And not everyone can always come in to Soho to, to do them. Absolutely. I yep. want to reach out to creative people that are kind of my friends in the industry, I suppose, um, to see how they're doing. So it sort of started out as that. And I thought, maybe I can do something with this, you know. Yeah. And then, of course, everyone's interviewing everyone in lockdown so yeah. I don't know if it I don't know if it permeates that or not but I, it's something I was working on for a while before and then as this happened I kind of changed it into a different vehicle I suppose. Aside from like um, it, it, it being something you'd wanted to do uh, uh, you know have you found it because personally speaking I, I've I've been recording um a lot of like just radio shows in my shed at the end of the garden uh, for my yeah. club and things like that, just because I, I find it um, a pleasant distraction from what's going on. Like, you know, I mean, we, we touched on a message earlier, like today we're, 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 you know, we're, we're waking up to, you know, this, this awful story um, about uh, the, the, the black gentleman that was yeah. choked to death. Um, it was utterly appalling and um i think it's really important to never become desensitized to this kind of violence and brutality because it's it is that's a pandemic in itself yeah the um historic pandemic as well of course yeah in the echoes of of this kind of violence um all throughout history but it's I mean, in my opinion, for what it's worth, it, you know, if anybody else, or a member of the public, was to do that, they'd be charged with murder. You know, so why is it acceptable from someone in the police force? You know, you, you may be on some kind of upper echelon compared yeah. to the rest of society, but we're talking about human lives here. I mean, it's just sickening that it's still carrying on. It's really upsetting. And, and yeah, the news today we did, didn't we? I was just sort of like... I. I'm really looking forward to this because it's so uh, it's so difficult to get you know like our lives are much more focused online now than they were before. Completely. We don't have our day to day lives and our interactions and our jobs and that kind of stuff. So sure. I think you know there are far more people online, um, and um, it's uh, it, sometimes it just all hits you at once. You know, there's a lot. Of anger, right, there's a lot of anger out there. You know. Um, 
and, and I just hope that the fact that, you know, I've not seen this kind of reaction to, to, to what goes on regularly in America, I'm sure. But I've not seen this sort of reaction since, you know, Rodney King, really. Uh, yeah. And, and I'm hoping... The rioting and the looting and the fires that have been going on now. Yeah. It's, it's very reminiscent. And, 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 I, and I just hope that, you know, that the fact that it's caused such, you know, attention and, 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 and hatred and anger, like, that, that, you know, it does get addressed because... You know, fucking hell, Rodney King. What was that? 30, nearly thirty years ago, I imagine. No change. Like, Nothing changed. It, it makes you wonder, like, really, as a civilization, if we're going forwards or backwards. Yeah. You know, we're very advanced in some ways, but then in other ways, basic human rights aren't, aren't progressing. You know, there's so much corruption. It's, um, and I think that anger and all that is justified. I'm not saying two wrongs make a right, but people, people will speak up and they will act out their anger and their frustration and it's it's absolutely no surprise to see all the timelines you know flooded with yeah. target stores being looted and, and police cameras being set on fire and and you know people using shopping toys as barricades it, it's kind of you know what's happening to the world no it's bonkers <laughs> it's bonkers well should we talk about something um, that that will be a, a a nice bit of escapism for an hour and and, okay. and talk I, I about? I very much welcome that. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk it's about. Hard to tune out of though, isn't it? It's really hard to tune out of because, like, you get really uh, and we can't protest. We can't go out into the streets and do anything. We yeah. can't even do that. Yeah. So there's even more of this kind of like tangible anger online. You Definitely. Know? Definitely. Usually, the streets would be full. I mean, you know, with the Dominic Cummings stuff. People would be, you know, protesting outside ten down the street and yeah. all over the place, but can't even do that. And they know that. Yeah, of course they do. It's a fucking crazy world right now, Sim. It really is. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think I think it's like the veil has been lifted in certain ways. I think it's always been like that. Yeah. These all these these personalities, um, you know, kind of sociopathic personalities have all, always been there. Uh, I think it's just that we're you know, we're kind of peeking behind the curtain a bit now, you know. I just hope that we come out of this, you know, with a little bit of a system restore and, you know, and, and with, with a little bit more value on, you know, that, that, you know, the connection with other people, you know, because we've been starved of it. I hope that we all come out valuing, you know, valuing that a little bit more. Like, I think generally people will. I'm not sh- you know, I think people did before. I think we'll have a greater sense of that and the importance and the and the compassion and, and that closeness and how much we value or we'll have a higher valuation system yeah. for it. But whether or not the government will, I don't know if that's their modus operandi really yeah. compassion. But anyway, that is another podcast, let's face it. <laughs> right, Sim, I've got lots of questions for you. Okay. Um, and my first one, Sim, I want to know what the first ever live show was that you went to. Um, if I remember rightly, it was Madonna at Wembley Stadium. What tour was that? It was the Who's That Girl tour. Wow. <laughs> you know, I was like, peak 80s Madonna. And um, my dad, my pa- both my parents took me. Because when, did, when you first come on uh, off the beaten track and spoke music, we, you, your, your dad worked in the music industry, didn't he? So, 
Yeah, so yeah. it was it was at that time he worked at Warner Brothers and he managed to score some tickets and we got into this sort of like kind of VIP section. And I remember we, we were in the bar before um, lounging around like VIP bars even when I was like you know, eight or nine. <laughs> Just such a blagger, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I saw the guy from Hot Chocolate there. Is it? Is his name Errol? Yeah, Errol Brown, yeah. Yeah, and um, I remember seeing him go, oh, my God, it's the guy, it's that guy from Hot Chocolate. <laughs> but, yeah, Madonna, I, I just remember that. And, and she was um, like just being really overtly sexual when I was really yeah. shocked. You know? it's, like, it was amazing. Yeah. I remember um, I had a huge, huge crush on Madonna then. I think I, 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 I don't know how old I would have been then, maybe 13, 14 and uh, and I remember um, there was uh, this 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 thing in Smash It's where um, she had this like thirteen year old twelve or thirteen year old boy on stage with her that was one of the dancers that was that that went on tour with her. And, oh wow! Okay. And I remember like reading this story that he um, when they got to wherever it was he was from in America, like all of his school friends and all that come to the gig, and Madonna like, gave him a massive kiss on the lips in front of everyone, like, on stage. And I remember just thinking, oh, he's the luckiest guy ever. Like, Madonna's, like, kissed him in front of all of his mates. And I just kept thinking, wish Madonna had come to my school and snogged me in front of my mates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's wild, isn't it, being a 13-year-old boy? Well, he was actually on tour, as mm. a... Yeah, I remember he had, like, he was a really cool-looking kid and had, like, little sort of trilby on and, and was, like, dancing, you know, in, in, in I don't know what video it was, but, yeah, yeah, she looked... Uh, Amazing. I mean, she, she, she was spectacular throughout the, the, the 80s, I think, Madonna, I think. Like, yeah, so. she, ruled, she ruled it in the 80s, man. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine what it must be like to be that stratospherically... Don't even yeah. the word, uh, famous. Yeah, yeah. But she, you know, it doesn't happen without good music. So um, that was her sort of payday, I suppose. Yeah, she it? didn't she struggle for a good pop song then, did she? So again, there was no, there was no shortage of good pop songs for Madonna in the eighties. The eighties was all about good pop songs, isn't yeah. it? Like we discussed. Right, Sim. Well, I yeah. want to know what the first live show was that you performed at. Okay, so like. You know, on our, <laughs> you know our previous podcast where I had like seven answers for each question? Yes. Have you done it again? <laughs> no. No, but I was thinking, because I, I did classical concerts when I was at, at school. Okay, that's cool. Like 11, 12, 13, I, I was playing in front of people, but that's not really what you mean, is it? You mean in a band situation? I, well, I, I guess so. I mean, it, I mean, was there less nerves in a kind of classical performance? Because I presume you was in a, a bigger bunch of people rather than yeah, yeah, maybe a sort of four or five piece on stage. No, that was the first, I mean... I remember those feelings, the jit, the kind of jitters and the anxiety and the excitement and the sort of adrenaline, you know, because our classrooms were the, were the dressing rooms and backstage. Yeah. And everyone, especially, I think with classical music, you have to be so calm. Yeah. And, you know, if you're playing violin and your, your hand's shaking and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, so it was that same thing of getting through a performance anxiety mindset. Yeah. But I think, like, as in terms of a band... Um, I'm trying to think. Long time ago, um, I think like- it was probably there was a band called Dempsey that I used to be in. 
And the first proper gig we ever did was at the Buffalo Bar in Highbury, Islington, which is not there now. It's next to the famous Cock. That's pub. right. I'm not even sure if that's there anymore. I think it is. Um, is it? It's yeah. got to be. It's called the famous Cock. It's got to stay there. With a name like that, I mean, come on. Well, yeah, to the Buffalo Bar, which was a really cool venue. Yeah, um, that was a great venue. Yeah, that was like my first proper live show. I remember being ridiculously nervous. I wasn't even in the room. You know when you do stuff and you're just like getting over it. Like that was that was different from doing classical stuff. Was there was there many people there? Yeah, there was about I don't know, kind of like two thirds full. Yeah, seem to remember. So there was a little clique around that band and lots of friends that were in other bands and stuff. So, and it was a bar as well, so it was always yeah. Was you, was you confident? No, I, I think that's part of the thing. Like I've always wanted to do stuff regardless of whether I'm confident at it or not. If you wait till you're confident to do something, you're never going to do it because doing it gives you confidence yeah i know i wasn't confident was you confident in your abilities though no because i wasn't i didn't feel i was good enough but i i wanted to wanted to do it i mean i i still don't i'm not i don't think i'm good enough but i still know i've got a lot more to learn yeah in, imposter syndrome though you can't help but get away from that can you it's always there is an of that I, I saw i saw a tweet from a really um well accomplished electronic musician the other day on twitter going any any advice for imposter syndrome and i was like you've got to be kidding me <laughs> how how what you know and i'm sure there were moments where even you like to think that maybe like even bowie or someone like that you know might have thought these things at the time and imposter syndrome is, is a weird thing because it's like you separate yourself from uh the whole thing of feeling like you belong somewhere or being worthy i think there's other things i think psychologically there's other things tied up with that but yes um essentially it's down to self-esteem and confidence yeah. which ultimately only grows the more you do something so no i wasn't really confident but i I was enjoying it too much to worry about if i was confident doing it i was having fun well you you said that you know you was nervous walking out onto the buffalo bar and obviously i I, want to talk about some of the gigs that you do uh that you've done and and that you've done with um primal scream yeah but i think you put a picture up on money on your social media um oh and it was you on stage uh at the stone roses gig oh my god yeah wow i mean i'll if it's cool with you i'll share that when this comes (laughs) out so people can see it's fucking insane it's i can only equate it to like when you see that sort of shot of elton john playing whatever stadium it is when he's on his piano with the baseball bat and the secret it's it looks like that you're looking badass him and like, and then in front of you is just thousands and thousands. That was the shot from behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. Do you know what? That's such a vivid day. I can remember the heat on my face, the sound of the crowd. I felt so calm. I, I was in a. I had been not to go into it, but I had been going through a really awful thing in my life, and that was kind of the end of it at that point. And that was the, one of the first shows where I walked out and I wasn't in that situation anymore. And I felt like a new 
don't know. I just remember that was one of the best gigs I've ever played. It's, it goes ties in so much with. Um, there's a question that you're. I think is like a bit later, but it ties okay. in so much with um, being very free in your head. Yeah, being e- is e- very equal to how much you enjoy the gig and how yeah. easily it comes to you, and how much we tie ourselves in knots. Yeah, all of this shit is kind of our, our own. On, you know, our own confidence is kind of like. In terms of confidence, it's very transient because it's sort of things that are happening in your life can really get in the way of that. But that was that was incredible, and that I mean that venue, and to be there with the band supporting Stone Roses, it's sort of like we think comes full circle. Yeah, if that start, if you want to start, you know, you want to get a bit of closure and 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 start something, you know, a new chapter in your life. That's a fucking great place to start, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Man, it was exactly that. There was such a great vibe all night. Um, and to see, I've seen obviously, I'd seen the Stone Roses before, but like they just smashed it out of the park. I mean, we were just dancing like loons, yeah, watching them. And um, yeah, there was a triple rainbow in that. There's one of the pictures, that's right, like, yeah, but they're like a triple rainbow, yeah. So I mean, that was like, even that on top of it was like, oh my god, everything's like coming together man oh but, wonderful wonderful yeah it's it a great great moment I, I forget. so speaking of great moments and rainbows and big crowds outdoors uh next question sim first festival you went to um i think i didn't start going to festivals till i was a bit older like early 20s um i think it was tribal gathering okay proper, like proper festival like on it and just you know whole weekend and completely wrecked for the next few days after yeah it was tribal gathering and it was kind of when I started my period of clubbing and, and everything that goes along with that um yeah what what, what did you anticipate was going to happen at a festival and was it what you expected I think so looking back it, it, probably, it really wasn't that good um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's pretty shit. I think a good time at a festival is a bit of an art form. Yeah. You, know, you kind of have to know what to take with you and when to do this and when to do that and like when to maybe have a rest and when to really go for it. Yeah. And it's sort of like, it's a bit like training for a marathon. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> and I just went, I took nothing with me. I think I had 20 quid. Yeah. And other things. Yeah. And, um, uh, my mum and uh, you know it was yeah it was okay I remember getting a lift back in a stranger's car and they, they stopped well with my friends and and they they stopped like at a service station and they bought us like ice creams on the way back because we obviously looked so so wasted and awful that they felt sorry for us we hadn't eaten in about three days <laughs> here have a Solero our <laughs> <laughs> ice cream <laughs> I remember that. I remember eating it going, God, what is this? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I mean, yeah, it didn't, I mean, it was fine. It was okay. But I've had better times at festivals. Yeah. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Are you able, are you able as a person to, um, you know, whether it's in a club environment or, or, or a festival, are you, are you are you are you sort of comfortable to just let yourself go and dance and 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 not give mm. a shit? I am now. Mm. Well, I've been for years. I think. I mean, I was very used to be really shy and really self conscious. Um, I think the moment you start, um, I think the moment you start clubbing, um, and you know, you might get into certain things or you know, take certain trips, sure, certain substances, whatever. Um, I think all those things go a long way to breaking you out of your uh, breaking you out of the me show. Mm-hmm. No, and and sometimes it's really good just to come out of yourself and really uh, lose those things in a really safe environment or a healthy manner. You know. But so um, yeah, I, I definitely I think any excuse to do that kind of thing now. It took me a few years just to feel comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. Well, uh, people are generally self-conscious, you know, for a good reason. It's like a protective veil that we have over ourselves. Yeah. I, um, I can't do it, Tim. I can't. Like, you can't. Like, I, I've, got, I've got a memory. I've yeah. got one memory, Sim, of literally I could tell you exactly what I was wearing, and it would have been 1993 at a place called the Gas Club uh, in Leicester oh, yeah, Square. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and it was Errol Orkham was DJing very early like in, in, in an indie club. Uh, and I was dancing to Debaser, and and I can remember just feeling complete joy. And and honestly, oh. I don't think I've ever felt like that since. And I can oh pit, I can God. remember that moment. And it's like it's really weird. I think because 
my life then became about putting on clubs and running clubs and DJing. You've my nights for so long, right? You'd kind of seen behind the curtain and, and yeah, I don't know. I just could never go back to it and just be completely carefree and, 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 I, and I just wish... I wish I would have. I wish I would have done that more. That's that's definitely uh, a regret. Right. Uh, yeah, but it's nice to have that as a as a kind of benchmark because you can you don't have to do it every weekend. Like yeah. if you if you went there once or twice or five thousand times, I think the point is that you go to that place completely. And the night, you know, the amazing DJs put on and, yeah. and the night where you meet those amazing people and have those kind of like higher states yeah. like they never leave you they yeah. really stay with you your whole life you know? so, okay i love that you remember the details and what you were wearing what were you wearing i was wearing a blue t-shirt i was wearing green check shorts i had yellow converse <laughs> all-star like and i remember i had i had long hair at the time and i always had it tied back and i had it down that night and i remember thinking man my hair looks cool as well and i just remember having the best time just dancing <laughs> <laughs> Sim, when you started in your band, what bands were you inspired by? When you say your band, do you mean like bands before Scream or Scream or? Um, I was in little bands and then it went. Yeah, no, I, I will get to Primal Scream, but when you first started out, hmm. um, who made you want to pick a guitar up? Andy Fraser from Free. Right, nice. Yeah, he's bass playing, and and people like um, George Porter Jr. from the Meters, you know, those bass lines, and um, you know, I remember buying the Motown book, James Jameson thing, and and all that. But I, um, Free was a big deal for me. I, I just loved those lines. Yeah. You know, and I, I loved watching old performances of them, and just thought they were brilliant. Yeah. And Andy Fraser was only like sixteen or seventeen when he was in that band at, at the beginning and he's just I remember looking at him and and he would just be like there's a there's a footage some footage of them on like Europe I think it's German TV program just surrounded by orange amps and um Andy Fraser's just so confident and in in the pocket and like big smile on his face and just so in his element you know and I remember thinking god you know it doesn't have to be really difficult you can just enjoy it yeah yeah and his their bass lines um well his bass lines, I, think, I felt they were quite easy to learn for a complete beginner because it's you know like i said it's really in the pocket it's not overly sort of geographical like you know if you start yeah. learning Jacob Pistorius, it's like well you know it's kind of you set yourself a bit of a challenge there sure i think free um and the clash you know i loved the clash i still love the clash of course doesn't man. Um, and the Stooges. I mean, I can see them behind you. I mean, not actually behind oh, you, but I can yeah. see. Uh, I, I, I can see uh, Iggy behind you. Yeah, my friend Wildcat Will did this. If you can't really see it, I got. I still got to drill holes in walls here and hang it up rather than like, lean it precariously. It's, all, <laughs> it's actually it's a stencil with all black glitter. Oh really? When the light shines on it, uh, you can see it, but you can't. You can't at the moment. I think that I haven't got the right frame for it because it's a bit misted, the glass. So, yeah. But I was, just, I, have to, I was like, I have to put it in a frame. I've just got to, like, oh, got to look at it. It can't be well. I've got so many things I need to frame and 
on the roll, you know. I mean, you, you, you mentioned um, the clash. Uh, mm. Am I right in saying you, you've 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 got to meet uh, Paul Simonon? Yeah, yeah, a few times. I mean, how's that? I mean, um, that, that's that's a moment, right? Surely. We couldn't stop looking at the gap in his teeth. Of course. Wow. <laughs> You know, um, he's how many good... people can make that look cool? Not many. Mr. C's got one. Yes. Uh, Paul Simonon. And yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Um, Did you just say not... Mr. C? Yeah. Sim, that's insane. I've what? just had a conversation with Mr. C about coming and doing this. <laughs> how weird's that? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's really bananas. <laughs> yeah, I was watching some of his meditations on Instagram live. Have you seen them? I haven't, no. I mean, mm. I, I guess if he's coming on, I best do my homework. Yeah, he's massively into meditation. And he does like guided meditations on, on uh, Instagram live now and all, on all of his channels because he's, he's, he's been into that for years. Yeah. But he holds workshops and stuff because and, he's in LA. He does it in yeah. different zones and um yeah, so... Wow. <laughs> yeah, um, um, that's great, it's coming on. So, uh, yeah, Paul, it's just... Oh, I, so I first met him when we played... Uh, uh, Royal Albert Hall. Just drop that in there. Just, just, just leave that one <laughs> in there. So, yeah, I want to play the, the, the Albert Hall. <laughs> I was hanging yeah. out with Paul Simonon. Yeah, you know, just the average weekend. Did my shopping, went to Sainsbury's. <laughs> um, yeah, and he came up to me afterwards. So I was like, because I kind of spied him from the corner of the room and then we got chatting. Because um, I always want to chat to people. Like, if I'm kind of like, see like a hero, I think, oh, I'm never going to get this chance again. Yeah, of course probably going to make a dick of myself but I just got to say hello you know Um, and we started talking about Robbie Shakespeare and and, and bass and reggae and all kinds of stuff and I'm like oh it's so easy to talk to he's just lovely yeah great energy and then sort of called me after and he goes um you know your problem don't you and I'm like oh god he's going to impart this like bass knowledge onto me he's going to tell me something's going to change me my playing forever. And he goes, uh, your heels are too high. <laughs> like, DMs, so you can like stomp the stage and run about a bit. Your heels are too high. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> okay, Paul Simonon. Well, at least the bass playing's all right. Just got to sort yeah, your heels out, Sim. Yeah, my heels were a bit high that night, so fair play. Yeah. Okay. What was the first gig you played, Sim? And And, and I mean this... With no disrespect to any of your previous gigs, what, what was the first gig you played that felt like a proper gig? And when I've asked other people this question, I kind of mean like there was things like maybe like a rider and like and there oh, was, yeah. you know and and like and all of a sudden you, you know you didn't get a five minute sound check and then the engineer just completely pulled all the faders down once you'd finished your sound check. <laughs> like, oh, no. you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, yeah, j- like j- twelve o'clock at Reading Festival. Yeah, so there's three people like. What what felt like? Wow, this this is this is like I guess this is what I thought a gig would be like when I was growing up. Yeah, the first one that comes to mind was my first proper gig with the screen because we flew to Hong Kong. We did a live session for Made of Vale. So it was like live radio was my first thing I did with them. 
<clears throat> no pressure. And then we flew to Hong Kong and we did the gig in front of 30,000 people at Clock and Flap. Yes, it's called Clock and Flap. Couldn't <laughs> 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 get away. I mean, there's only like other parts of the world that can get away with calling Of course. Festival. We've got but, the famous cock, it's fine. Yeah, we've got a famous cock, man. It's, it's all level. Works out. Um, yeah, that was it. And, and it was kind of, we did it just by the harbour. So we had this beautiful backdrop. Um, and people just went insane, and I was like, "Wow, okay, this is this is kind of what it is to be in front of a crowd like this, and 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 being on stage, and how it feels, and this is like that was that level of nerves. Now this is this level of nerves." And so tell me, tell me about the, the the moment before you walked out on stage. What was going through your mind? What you know? Did, what what did, did did Bobby or Andrew say anything to you? Like knowing it was your first gig? Like you know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fuck it up. <laughs> your heels are too big. <laughs> your heels are too hard. Uh, yeah. um, no, I, there's never a, like a kind of, you know, there's never kind of some sort of seance group hug, high yeah. five going up, and everyone's just chilled. And, you know, that's a shadow boxing, and we're doing a bit of a stretch, and, uh, you know, telling a couple of jokes or something. It's not, it, you know, there's that, yeah, there's that kind of tentative just before you walk on stage thing. I love that, though. Yeah. I love that. There's not much else that's like that. The being on stage is slightly different, and then there's that just before you go on stage yeah. where you're kind of like hyper-aware, but then feel yourself going into the zone where you're yeah. like, you stop thinking. Yeah. Like, that part of your brain just starts, starts to shut down. I can't remember on that specific gig... I just can't remember. I just remember walking out on stage. Can you remember the song you started with? Um, might have been moving on up. Right. I'd have to look at the set list. You know, it's like setlist.com or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be nice to know, wouldn't it? First ever actual song I played with them properly. Yeah. It was probably moving on up, maybe. Yeah. But uh, I just so, <sighs> Afterwards, was there like a euphoric sense of kind of relief as well and that you'd got the first one kind of under your belt and, and it was, you know, it it weren't the Buffalo Bar, it was fucking 30,000 people. Like, you know, did, did you feel like, right, this is this is a bit of me, I, I want some more of this? Definitely. Yeah, that, that, this, I want some more of this. It was yeah. one of those, yeah. And I, uh, I was kind of happy that I just got through it and didn't, any bum notes yeah you know. um but i felt strange i remember feeling strangely calm really um i've had gigs to small at smaller venues smaller crowds where i felt more nervous yeah you know, why, why do you think that is um, i think a lot of it is your state of mind at the time sometimes you can't control what how and when your mood sort of yeah. goes up and down um, sometimes in you feed your gigs in London like, or your ho- your hometown where your family and your friends are there, or you know that quite a lot of well-known musicians are going to be there. You're like, <laughs> it's like any anything you put that pressure on yourself. Suddenly your ego gets involved and go, ooh, better not do anything that makes you look like an idiot. You yeah. Know? So, so how does it feel? Um, because I know you're good friends with Manny. And, yeah. and and obviously you, we, we spoke that you played with the Rosies. Um, how, does it feel? Do, Manny is just like 
is awesome. So how is that playing bass and, and Manny's there and thinking, oh, Manny's played bass as well. Like, Do you feel like any kind of weirdness or like, you know, when you said that there's famous musicians out there, especially if there's bass players that, you know, that you've looked up to and things, like, how, how do you find that? Um, do you know where I'm going? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, someone in your own trade or whatever. Yeah. You know that, like, when, I'm, I, when I look at bands, I kind of do look at the bass player. Right. You know, if you know there's other bass players in the audience, you're like, well, and if I go, if I do something a little bit skewed with, they know it. That's just the way it is. Um, I, I don't, no, this is, this is, you can't take it all on stage with you. Of course. You just can't take everything on stage with you. Yeah. You know, I love it when Manny comes. Like, the, I remember the first time he came to see me play with the band, it's like, um, it's uh it's, it's like watching uh it's like watching some guy fucking your ex-girlfriend you know? <laughs> <laughs> it is you know brilliant he, he's there it just feels like part of an extended family yeah oh that's he's wonderful he's like one of the funniest people you could ever meet and he's just got such a brilliant energy and such a good heart that yeah um and he's like, yeah, but you go and smash it. You you fucking smash it. Love you. You know, he's, oh, he's all brilliant. behind it. So, yeah, I keep threatening to do like a double a double bass thing on stage. Oh, that'd be great. I, I actually saw, I actually saw Manny's first ever gig um, with mm. the screen. Um, Where was that? It was at um, Chinnery's, no, the Esplanade in South End on Sea. Uh, wow. And it was a Glastonbury warm up. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, that was a. It was. It was a small venue, and it was fucking loud, really mm. loud. Um, question six, Sim. Mm. Is there a band that, whenever they tour, you try to go and watch them? Yeah, there's a few. Um, the OCs, mm-hmm. because they're just incredible live. You can never see them enough times live. Um, Nine Inch Nails. Um, and I really love uh, Cigarettes Soft Sex. I had tickets to go take them. Who's that, sorry? Cigarettes After Sex. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They just don't sound like anyone. They've, they have one of the most incredible live sounds. I mean, I've seen them a few. We've been on the same bill, and I've watched them from the side of the stage, from the front. I've been in the audience. I don't know how they get such an amazing live sound. I mean, wow. Um, I just really enjoy their music live. Uh, they, you know, they make a great, they make great music and albums recorded, but live it's kind of, fuck. Yeah. Speaking of all these bands, really. Um, I, think, I think the same could definitely be said for, for Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails live is, yeah. is, is quite the experience, isn't it? They, I saw them live for the first time ever uh, a while back when they did the Robert Smith meltdown at South Bank. That's right, yeah. And that, that's kind of a weird thing, you know, seeing them in, in a seated venue. Yeah. Because you just want to lose your shit, you know. It's so but, weird, Sim. I found myself at several gigs where they're bands that I grew up watching and all of a sudden they're seated and I just think, oh, no, what's happening to me? I don't want to sit down and watch the Lemonhead Sim. 
I want to pretend I'm 18 again. I don't want to be kind of sitting down stroking my beard. It's like, fuck's sake. I, I literally had two in two weeks. I went and saw um, the Lemonheads do Shame About Ray at the Barbican. And then it was, and then I saw Grantly Buffalo. And, and they were two bands whose albums in the early 90s blew my socks off. And, yeah. and, and the thing was as well, Evan Dando walked out on stage and he still looked fucking 21. And I was He's just... Yeah. He looks the same. I don't know what is going on, but he looks the same, yeah. Like, and I, I just think, my, I mean, the amount of stuff that that guy must have put in his body as well, yet he Look. still looks incredible. And, yeah, but I had to sit down, and it was like, oh, no, I've hit that <laughs> age now. I've got to start sitting down at gigs. It's but like, you can't help where people put venues, you know. Like, yeah, of course. Some of the best-sounding venues are when people are seated. But, I mean, yeah, Nine Inch Nails sitting down is weird. But it did give you a chance to just take it all in. Yeah. I remember going to see Suicide at the Barbican. Yeah. Sitting down. <laughs> I mean, that was weird. I, I saw Suicide by mistake once. Um, I had tickets to see Grinder Man. Uh, oh, my God. And I, now, so I was prepared for an evening of sinister noise. Right. Yeah. And I walked in, and there was a guy in like a 1990s silver puffer jacket, done right up, just screaming inaudible nonsense over <laughs> this incessant, almost shit techno. <laughs> and I was like, "What the fuck?" And um, don't get me wrong, Sim. My ears are always open for some new experiences and something. Yeah. And it took me about 10 minutes of going, this is fucking terrible. And like, and then I just thought, oh my God, this is suicide, isn't it? And like, and, and, and I, I own a lot of suicide records and, and I have a lot of time for them. But what I saw that night, whether it was new material, oh my God, it was unbearable. So Not in a good way. What's that? They support and grind them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a gig, man. Suicide and Grinder Man. Yeah. I mean, I on, to... on paper, Sim, sounds great. Huh? On paper, it sounds great, but uh, yeah, I, yeah. I would have maybe uh, switched suicide that night. It, it weren't good. <laughs> it weren't good. And it, and, it, and it feels weird saying that because, like, you know, they're, they're utter pioneers. But, yeah. oh, that was really unpleasant. Like, God. But Grinder Man wow. were fucking sinister. I really wish I could see the Grinder Man stuff live. I mean, I love. I I'm such a fan of Nick Cave. Yeah. In and all of his incarnations. Yeah. But I mean, Grinder Man, I really, I, I'd, I'd kill to see those songs live. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's one of the greatest frontmen ever. I think. Um, he really is. Like, he really we, is. I was talking about it to I think I was talking um, to yesterday about it um, and and I was saying it's not just because he was talking about the the Glastonbury performance where he plays uh, where he's doing Stagger Lee and he, have you seen that one where he goes out into the crowd and the girls uh, like lifted on someone's shoulders and he's just literally serenading her with this yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. sinister <laughs> fucking record like and I just think he looks like and sounds like what he's singing sounds like he's about to murder you. He looks like he could murder you and not give a fuck. Yet, you just 
fucking fall in love with him because everything about him is like the way his suits are cut, everything, yeah. especially the people, the way that people like Nick Cave gigs. They like him. So he just yeah. looks like the fucking devil, like leaning over you in the shadows. And it's just an experience that if yeah. no one's ever seen Nick Cave live and you get a chance to do it because it's, it's the most no, dramatic. Yeah. He has an incredible presence no matter where they play. Yeah. And I've seen him at different venues and saw them at the O2 a yeah. years ago. Wow. Yeah. I, I went in fully prepared for it to sound like a gig at the Ideal Home yeah. Exhibition. You know, so <laughs> how can this have a vibe? Sorry, some weird noises going on there. Um, but I, I mean, he made it feel so intimate in the yeah. way he works stage, the way he moves around, and yes, the lighting. And um, I mean, I've never heard a crowd. It's not often that you hear, you can hear how intensely a crowd is involved because they're yeah. not talking, you're not like all this kind of yeah. stuff. Um, and then I saw him at All Points East playing the outside. Yeah. I thought, oh, maybe some of this is going to get lost into the ether. And again, everyone was like. Yeah, he just gets proud like that. He's yeah. just magnetic. Um, yeah. What a guy! What a, a multifaceted, lovely man. For track seven, Sim, I want to know about your first ever tour, either as support or headline, and I want to know who was on the bill, and I want to know what. Well, I'll start with that bit first. What was your first like proper tour? You know, I didn't really properly start touring until I was in the screen, yeah. believe it or not. Okay. <clears throat> did runs of gigs with other bands, but it wasn't like touring, touring, you know. I desperately wanted to go on tour. I just thought the idea of it was amazing. And, yeah. and then I did, and, you know, I got to do it with this amazing band. So I'm really lucky. Um, who, who was your first screen tour with? Who was, like, was your headlining? Um our tour, we did the first thing we did was we went to Australia, Hong Kong, did the cock and flap, and that just tickles me. <laughs> um, can't say it without a little wise smile, of course. Um, and there were a few dates in Australia. Um, what was that? Was it? it was a kind of like a run of shows, um, but so you know, immediately I was in Australia playing in front of loads of people. Um, well, they were our shows, though. What was you anticipating from touring as 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 a young sim looking at you know bands in the enemy and things like that and and hearing these stories about touring and and probably reading about primal screen tours as well like you know what was what was your anticipation of not necessarily going on tour with primal screen but just going on tour and and then did it meet your expectations did it surpass them did it completely change your idea of what touring was I didn't have much to compare it to when I went on screen at all. I think you have this idea that, I mean, there's touring at different levels. You know, there's, there's been hot box in the back of the transit van and guys who haven't washed for like six days. And then there's, um, you know, being able to have a, a decent hotel room and, and have a few hours rest before yeah. the show. And, and if your jacket falls apart, you've got a tour manager who can help you out and stuff yeah. like that. So, um, yeah, I, I guess there's this kind of idea that it's just fucking debauched and drug fueled and, yeah. and deprived. And no, I mean that's there if you want it. Yeah, sure. You no, know, it's just it's just a bit more grueling when you do that at lower level. Yeah, it's harder. It's like that's why I think <clears throat> it's okay when you're 19 or 20 or 21. Yeah. 
But like you get to like your late thirties, it's sort of like <laughs> you know, you've got to kind of be okay for on stage. I think you sort of I guess your priorities change when yeah, you just of like, you have to look after yourself more, <laughs> you know, don't you? Yeah, you try. The gig is the reason you're there. And yeah. I think maybe like you know, it's um it's it's I think the bottom line is it's 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 work, you know. Yeah. You're there to do a live show and it's yeah. to, to make the live shows as best as possible, but have a fucking great time doing it, whatever that involves. But always yeah. be on form for the show. Yeah, takes, I suppose it takes a while to kind of find that balance. Definitely, definitely. I'm, I'm literally halfway through watching a documentary. I started it um, this morning. I couldn't sleep last night. I'm up really, really early. And, and I generally trawl like Amazon Prime for like music documentaries, and uh, there was there's actually one I watched the other week on on the making of Scream of Delica. Actually, this really really good watch. Oh yeah, um, I think it's the one that I, I think I've seen. There's um, you've got like Andrew and Bob, yeah. Andrew's the mix and desk talking it, about yeah, yeah. Mike stars, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I watched that, and I, I finally well, I went back and watched Searching for Sugar Man again, and it just restored my oh, faith in, in in humankind. I've seen them live. Oh, wow. Tell me about that, Sim. Yeah, it's a couple of years ago. Um, that was, hang on, I think that was at the Royal Albert Hall as well. Wow, my memory's fucked. But yeah, Rodriguez. Um, he he came out and he was absolutely wasted. Oh, really? Absolutely wasted. Yeah, he had to have help getting on stage and getting on the stool. Wow. Because I think he was so nervous yeah. that... He, he must have just been necking the whiskey to kind of counteract that. Yeah. And at first, he was sort of not making much sense, and he was wobbling about, and the guitar was, and you were like, oh, no, this is difficult to watch. Oh, and then wow. as it went on, he kind of found his strides, and then it became amazing, and then it became emotional, and then people were crying, and then he got really funny and really witty, and he had the whole audience like that. And then yeah. you could feel how much everybody loved him. Yeah. And uh, it was it was a really magical gig. Yeah. I, I mean, I was like, you know, welling up. It was just really incredible, especially if you've seen that documentary. Yeah, 100%. 100%. That's a, a must-see. I've literally was halfway through one this morning, which was um, uh, the story of uh, the drummer in Hull. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, I think it's Patty is her name, uh, wow. and it's talking about um, like the, the the career of of, of Hull and all of this stuff that she documented. She filmed so much stuff, uh, and there's like so much footage of kind of like Kurt with like you know Baby Francis, and it's mm. uh, it's a real kind of it's all footage I've never seen before, and it's uh, yeah, it's uh, that that looked like that was a very difficult band to be in Hull. <laughs> There was uh, some cold. yeah, there's a lot of drama going on with with that. A- and it's everything. Quite... Yeah. Uh, it was yeah, bananas. You know, just as a side note, um, Doc and Roll, the Doc and Roll Festival have a film channel now, and they basically they're, they're a festival that only do music documentaries, and they have a uh, Doc and Roll TV. If you go on it, there are so many amazing uh, obscure music documentaries on it. Wow. I mean, where is this? Is this on YouTube? Is this on? Um, I, uh, they're friends of mine that run it. It's just called Doc and, Doc and Roll. Yeah. 
roll, but dock and roll TV. Yeah. If you look at that, there are there are just amazing um, news documentaries that they put up, and they they've been working for a few years, like with the festival, and, and now they have the streaming service. Um, it's definitely worth a look if you want. Oh, that's uh, to look at. Nothing gives with me more that. joy than a good music doc, Sim. Oh it's... yeah, yeah, and they do all the ones. Not to quote your podcast, but all the ones that are a bit off the beaten track. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> well, that's what you want, isn't it? You, you want. You don't find on iPlayer or Amazon Prime and stuff like that. You know, yeah. bands you've never heard of. You know, I remember them doing one about the band Death, but didn't really know anything about. Yeah, but yeah, really good. Oh, I'm gonna so go and check that out when we're done. <laughs> Um, question um, eight. Um, tell me some of the bands and artists that you've really enjoyed touring and playing with. Um, do you mean like support tours, or just do you mean yeah, like support bands or bands that you know you, you you generally find yourself at festivals with and kind of like hanging out with? Like just some yeah. of the bands that you've enjoyed sort of spending time playing with. And we did uh, we did a run with um, Boningham. They're lovely. Nice. Love those guys, so incredibly talented, unique, very down to earth. Um, we did Rum of the Cult. I, I fucking love Ian and the guys, like, they're just amazing people, really inspiring. Really, I mean, that's quite a mad sentence, isn't it? Right there, we've done a tour with the cult. <laughs> we did, we did, pri- it was called Primal Cult. Ah, <laughs> oh, I'll see um, what you've done there. Yeah, we did uh, basically gigs in the States, you know, and um. Uh, yeah. So you I just mean, get to hang out with Ian and Billy? Kind of. Well, they kind of keep themselves themselves because obviously yeah. we travel separately and then when we get to the venue, they sound check, we sound check and, and then everyone needs their kind of time yeah. to eat, dress and rest. Of. So mainly after the show when people are a bit more... <sighs> yeah. There were moments before, there were these little moments that when you are touring with a band, you kind of, you don't want to get in each other's hair or hassle each other. Yeah. Um, you really respect that they have to kind of get into a mindset before they go on stage. So you just respect for that. But then there are moments where you're both walking down the corridor, you share a little, you might be eating at the same place or you're hanging out in the, in the dressing room or something. And it's just um, these little magical moments that kind of make touring yeah. really memorable and special. Yeah. Um, so those guys, um, yeah, God, who else do you think? I don't remember. They're the two that come to mind, really. I mean, there are bands that you sort of catch around the same festival circuit sometimes. You know, I mean, we played a couple of times with Johnny Marr last year as well. Um, he's, he's just a lovely human. And, uh, yeah, sometimes I mean, you can t- dovetail somebody around if you're on a tour with them or yeah. things. Like, you keep seeing each other on the same festival bill and stuff. You can say hello so johnny's done your podcast hasn't he mm, yeah yeah he did a he did a great one he's so interesting yeah. he's like the most in-depth chat i've had with him because I've, I've chatted to him on my radio show a couple of times but yeah. this oh, was- oh fucking hell Sim. how many times have i got to tell you <laughs> that you know he's my dream guest and now you're telling me like yeah he, he was just such a good chat and i've had him on my radio show <laughs> twice fucking hell <laughs> I'll, I'll and then you can edit your voices at some- <laughs> <laughs> that'd be amazing so tell me um like a little bit about the the, the podcast and the kind of um you know the, the sort of structure of it and you know is it you know what what's the kind of sort of format of it 
Oh, God, I wish I had a format. <laughs> oh, well, is, I is, is it just a, a, a you know, a, a, just a good chat? It's a crucial kind of thing. I don't really ask the same questions every time. Yeah. Um, it is loosely based around what's going on and how people are sort of coping in lockdown. Because mm-hmm. I think um, it's good for people to know like how how their favourite musicians are doing and their favourite creatives. And it, it's interesting for me you know, to kind of get advice on, you know, what should I do? How should I approach this? What should I think yeah. about? And it's a little bit of the backstory of, of how they came to be doing what they're doing. And some of it goes off on a tangent. Um, I try to keep it about music. It's mainly music and, you know, people in creative industries. You know, some of my friends are stand-up comedians that I'm going to get. Some of them are radio hosts, um, as well as musicians, some DJs. So, All within sort of creative of- fields. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm interested in how this period of lockdown affects that and, and what people are doing to adjust to that. So it's a, it's a lot about that. But it's mainly an hour. Johnny's was two. Sorry, not rubbing it in. Sakes, I'm all right. <laughs> I owe you a pint, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and something, I kind of try and treat it like we're just – sitting in a bar having a drink or you know a sparkling water um about life and, and music and stuff yeah um but yeah i like yours because yours is a bit more structured i think that kind of gives you well, know what you're getting so i'm, I'm really experimenting like i didn't i'm not an experienced podcaster so i'm kind of getting to grips with it like i've interviewed people on the show and that's always like a bit more of a constrained time frame. So yeah, but I think there's more pressure in, in what you do there, Sim. I mean, I, you know, you, you was kind enough to invite me on your radio show and, and I was yeah, petrified, you know. I was so nervous because like, like, like live radio was, was, was really strange and it was, you know, I'd never done that before. I thought it was, it was really quite sort of intimidating. And then literally, if you remember rightly, just before we went to go on air – one of Primal Scream walks in the uh, studio as well, and I was like, oh, well, this has really weirded me out right now. <laughs> you, people gravitating. <laughs> scream magnet. Um, um, yeah. definitely a live radio, though, than doing the pre-recording. Yeah. Because I hung up on the editing after it. Yeah. Oh, but- I try and, you know. But in regards to any sort of structure in podcasts, like I mean, this this is obviously a a, a different format to the, the normal one that you've that you've done already. But it was just in times of lockdown, it's like, well, I'm going to try and reach back out to the people that I've really enjoyed chatting with. Do you know what I mean? And like that was the first time we'd kind of chatted, and um, you know, I like to think we've become pals. Do you know what I mean? And you've come and yeah. and DJed for me and Pip and stuff, and I come down the radio. Yeah, show, so. I love that. By the way, I can't wait till we can do stuff like that again. I know, I know, mate. Tell me about it. Um, but the, the the reason that I wouldn't say it's that structured, but them little questions I have, they're just a little anchor points, just in case I need to yeah. fall back on something. I can go, right, and then so for this track, and then it's the mm. answers are not that important. It's all the stuff that kind of, you know, it, fills the faces. Yeah, I have those points. I, I, I have those sort of points. Things little anchors. I mean, I, I did, you what? <laughs> oh, anchors, yeah. Um, <laughs> I had I was interviewing someone the other day and um, I had my notes like you know on, on your iPhone yeah. and um, uh, about ten minutes it was like an hour interview and then ten minutes into the interview I, I accidentally deleted all of the notes. 
<laughs> and then, I mean, it's not like I didn't know this person, but still, you know, yeah. there were so many things I wanted to cover. And um, and then I looked and deleted where it would have been. Yeah. And it's like, nope, I've deleted it from the deleted. I'm definitely not shit creep without a panel. So I was just, as they were talking, I was going, oh! <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm there. yeah, so then they finished talking. I was like, I managed to get through it, but um, well, look when when this episode's finished, I want you to tell me who that is. I'm going to listen to that one. I'm going to see if I can work out the exact point when you just think, "Oh fuck!" Well, you know what you got to do because I was watching another music documentary about Dusty Springfield the other day, and Dusty's iconic wrist flicks that she would do all of that, which I'm doing now on camera. Uh, I, I don't look quite as, yeah, there you go. Like seems looking way more graceful than me doing it. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but she used to write the lyrics on her wrist. Oh, so she would do all of this because it helped her remember the words. I think it's amazing that lead singers like can remember all of the lyrics. Like yeah. when we're talking about people like Nick Cave. Yeah. He's, I've never seen him get a lyric. Yeah, you know, I just think it's it's like must have three hundred, four hundred songs to his name without the poetry. No, I mean you know I just I got so much respect for that. That's another. It's just another discipline in your brain, isn't it? I mean, I guess it's like remembering a bassline or remembering a guitar part, yeah. but um, you know, and when you've written it, it kind of goes into your head anyway. But nerves can really throw you off sometimes, and, and the first thing that would go if I was a singer would be like you know lyrics yeah but yeah um next question with gigs recording releasing what differences have you noticed in the industry um now to when maybe you first started playing music gigs recording and releasing Mm. you're lucky you're in a band that's kind of got its mindset right on all of them things do you know what i mean there's it's, it's i'm in a bit more of a privileged position not that I was never in bands before but I wasn't in a band to a degree where what what I meant by that was I didn't mean that you was privileged in it to be in primal screen what I'm saying is primal screen you, is a, 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 you know obviously I am yeah viewpoint in that sense but primal screen's mindset of you know politics and standing and 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 they're on point do you know what I mean never mm. question their ethics that's what I kind of meant yeah um, do you mean like how I feel the industry's changed? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess really, I feel maybe it's harder to, to generate income and revenue from just releasing physical records. Yeah, you know, and, and having an online presence and being able to stream music is um, so necessary. Mm. You know, I guess if you don't do that, you're kind of cutting off a certain amount of um, exposure and maybe income as well you know so I think uh, hmm. I think it's very easy to kind of teeter on kind of sounding like you know me sounding like middle-aged old man when I talk about the merits of you know the good old days of record shops and vinyl and things like that but I guess but with that mindset also comes the, 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 the payoff for that was Bands were supported as well. You know, bands had an opportunity to make money then and, and 
you know, make a living out of being a touring band. And, you know, we now live in a world of 360 deals and, and, and things like that, which can kind of make life for new bands trying to break through very difficult. And even if they do break through, I mean, tell me if you think otherwise, Sim, but like if that first album don't shift X amount of units, chances are that major label's not going to give you a second album. Yeah, I think that's the same one, even independence. Everyone's yeah. got a certain amount. Everyone's got a cut-off point. Yeah. You know, I know people releasing albums in, in, in this pandemic who are still up against that. If they don't yeah. sell a certain amount, then they're not going to be, they're not going to have, and the deal's not going to be there after this. Yeah, you know? yeah and, they can't go out and tour that record to support it either. How do you promote, you know, unless you've already fairly established and built up a fan base and your album is utterly brilliant um you know how do you generate that that kind of thing you can't i mean a a lot of bands you know uh get that point of sale from selling merch as well and that's something really really important you know people going i think actually people have come back to buying physical you know the last of years people have come back to buying um physical version of things you know um and I guess just the importance of supporting the label, you know, label, smaller independent labels, I feel like have become a bit more prominent now. Definitely. Um, Definitely. And that's made it easier for perhaps smaller bands to kind of get up onto that platform and and get a piece of the action. Agreed. Um, But I know, you know, lots of of my friends that run small independent labels and, um, the financial constraints are obviously much more, Completely. but people's taste to music is is so massively varied now, and um, I think the demand for different music and different subcategories of music is is kind of stronger than ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not an industry expert at all. I'm only yeah. seeing it from um, musicians, musicians or performance kind of side sure. of things. I guess if you were to talk to like the head of labels. Um, it'd be a much more in-depth answer. You know? okay. so I think, yeah, just bracing, you know, the ability to uh, reach your fan base and, and monetize the situation online is much more thing. Definitely. Definitely. Sure. Sim, I've got two questions left for you, mate. All right. What's your favourite venue? Wash my favourite venue. Like, wash go it. Wash go it. wash it right now. <laughs> it's been shut for two months. It needs a scrub. <laughs> um... I've got a few. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. It's you. Of course there's going to be a few. <laughs> oh, God. Wow, I sound like Bart Simpson when I laugh. <laughs> um, Glasgow Barrowlands has worked its way up to one of my favourite venues. Lovely. It, we did a couple of shows at the end of the tour, um, end of last year, and oh, it's amazing. I mean, that's, it, that's a homecoming, right? Yeah, but I've never – it's not my home. Yeah. No, but it's the home for the guys, yeah. and Bobby at least. And um, the Glasgow crowd, man, wow, incredible! And that venue is just incredible. Yeah. You know, it's the old building and the vibe there is, is amazing. Um, another one in that sense would be like Manchester Albert Hall. It's just, it's just another magical venue. Yeah. And again, it's like northern audiences. Yeah, they lose it. You know, yeah. it is a different vibe. Um, I really like the Seagal in Paris as well. Oh, okay. Um, and there's one in uh, there's one in Mexico that we played. I'm trying to, I can't remember the name of it. Um, it's a kind of newer 
but a newer venue, I think. Um, we played there the night after Trump got elected. Okay. Wow. And it went, it went off. <clears throat> I remember we got to the airport and people were just like, the mood was like palpable. And then we went on stage and, and it, Everyone was waiting to kind of like let go. Yeah. What a crazy. fucking crazy country to be in the day after Trump gets elected. Yeah. 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 But the venue we played, I'll have to get the name of it. You know, I like adding in the subtitles, but that was one of the best yeah, venues as well. Sound wise, design wise, vibe wise, everything. Yeah. There were so many. You know. Of course, indecisive. <laughs> Right, okay. Well, I'm going to pin you to five. You're only having five for this last question, Sim. Like, you're, not having, you're not having 15 honourable mentions, mate. Right. Five acts, alive or dead. Who would be in your dream festival lineup? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. It would have to be the Stooges. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Is this in any order, or are you just throwing them out? No, God, I'll do an order. Can I do an order after? I can't possibly think about that. <laughs> Stooges. Um, OCs. Okay. Um, I think I'd have John Spencer Blues Explosion. Oh, great shout. Yeah, because they're just fucking wild. I remember going to see them in, in LA. <laughs> God, sorry, that sounds ridiculous. In LA, in this place called Still... Uh, no, it was Echo Park. I think it's a place called the Echo in Echo Park. And they had just they were late and they had just arrived from the airport and they literally walked straight into the venue. It was all set up, but they walked straight into the venue. He put his guitar down, opened up the case, was sweaty, ugh, and plugged it in and just started the gig like that. Oh. <laughs> and that was one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah. What that, the third at the Hundred Club was pretty wild. Um, in fact, yeah, Bob Log. I think I'd have Bob Log the third as well. As well, nice. You know, I don't know because he's nuts. Like he does a whole thing in like an all-in-one and the, the um, crash helmet with the like old handset, like the phone yeah, handset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's four. Yep. Um, and um, you have rides. Oh, I'm, right, I'm, I'm going to get a high five there, Sim. <laughs> high five. <laughs> I just in January, and they were the best I've ever seen. And I saw them. Doing the new stuff now with the old stuff as well is, like, so good. It honestly, like, I had a guest on, on, on this podcast, and, uh, and, and, and she was a, an absolute delight, and she was like, oh, you should, you should get um, my friend's husband on, um, he he's he's he was in Oasis, and I was like, oh okay. I said like, who's that? And she went, um, uh, his name's Andy Bell, and I was like, he's in Ride. Like, I ain't bothered about Oasis. I mean, yeah, they're cool, but he's in fucking Ride. And like, and so yeah, she facilitated it to to, to get Andy to come and, and and chat on this. And I mean, Andy's done your podcast, am I right? Yes, yeah. I mean, yeah. what a lovely guy, right? He's, he's, he's lovely. He's just lovely. So down to earth, incredibly talented, very interesting, you know, just very calm. Yeah. You know, lovely. So, yeah. oh, how many um, episodes are out now, Sim? Oh, just two. 
I've, okay. I've got about, I mean, I've got like series one is about maybe seven or eight. Um, I couldn't possibly tell you who's coming on because it's a surprise. Okay. It, okay. Yeah, I've had Ghost Pirates so far. He was brilliant. He has an amazing album out. Okay. Um, and uh, Johnny as well. And then I've got another one. It's weekly. I try to drop it every Monday. Okay. And um, where can people listen to that? Uh, you, you can go to iTunes or Spotify or Acast, and it's just called Closer With Simone Marie. Sim, I will put um, links to it um, when I put oh this out. Um, and, yeah, Sim, it's always an absolute joy uh, hanging out. So I, I always love talking to you, and you have to come on mine. I would so. love to. Nothing will make me happier, Sim. Um, I love hanging out uh, and chatting to- tunes with you. And uh, you're the only other person I know that likes Terence Trent Derby. <laughs> I know. I re-listened to that interview, and I kind of like I should not have said that. I should not. <laughs> Just shut up. If you're wondering what that is, go and check out Sims' uh, first appearance on Off the Beaten Track, where uh, she talks about getting uh, a phone. It was a phone call, not a letter. One, it? it was a phone call from Terence Trent Derby. <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, Sim, check out all of Stu's other podcasts for show. <laughs> Sim, thanks so much, mate. Thank you. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. There you go. Love catching up with Sim. Um, super fun, super interesting. One of the coolest jobs in music, playing bass for Primal Scream. Uh, fountain of knowledge on music uh, and just um, a smashing person. And uh, so, yeah, had a, had a really good time recording that. And as I said at the beginning, please uh, go and have a route around in the archives if this is your first listen. Um, or even if it's not and you've missed a few, go and have a little look. Better still, subscribe. If you subscribe, then each week an episode will just pop up on your listening device. You won't have to do anything. And uh, and you can get stuck into some more stories from some wonderful creatives talking about the music that soundtracked their creative journey to date. All right, I'm done. I'm out of here. Thanks to you lot um, again for listening and supporting this podcast. Thanks once more to Sim for giving up her time. Uh, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, and there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free so every other month there'll be a new edition out so go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well podbiblemag.com it's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me stew with him 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Boll Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Boll Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bollandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.